podcast is brought to you by Amigo, do you know where Avengers out on the border but think you can't afford it? We'll bank your bags because Cabo Air is your ticket to Mexico for less. Cabo Air is a small boutique airline specializing in discounted non-stop flights from LAX to beautiful Cabo San Lucas and Puerto Vallarta. Our fleets of modest aircraft will have you relaxing in paradise quicker than you can say tequila. With Cabo Air, you save hundreds over those giant corporate airlines. So join our fiesta in the skies and visit CaboAir.com to plan your trip today. Use promo code Viva Mexico to score seats for under $199 round trip. Vamos los amigos and get ready to fly Cabo Air, the official airline of the Tijuana Luchidors. I have written a TV show. I've written eight episodes, all right, of a limited series. I've written all eight episodes. I direct all eight episodes. But, you know, that might be what I, like, uh, start setting up next year. I hope to do two more books. I plan on doing first play that I've just wrote. But I want to do Hateful Eight later on stage. But I could very well write a stage version of, of Reservoir Dogs when I'm doing mm. theater. The only one I can imagine where it would be another epic, where I need to outdo everything, is if I did a Kill Bill film. And then I wrote five episodes of Bounty <laughs> But I could see myself writing a novelization for Reservoir Dogs. That would be cool. Welcome all you inglorious bastards to our brand new series here at the Church of Tarantino, aptly named Inglorious Blue Balls, A Bastard's Work Left Undone, where each month over the next three years, we will be taking a look at one of the many projects Quentin Tarantino has announced over his illustrious 30 plus year career that have never come to pass. I'm your host, the Reverend Scott K, and joining me on this daunting quest into the psyche of our hyperactive, motor-mouthed, hip-firing, Lord and Savior's laissez-faire approach to announcing projects is the newly ordained officer of the church, Monsignor Wheeler. And over the course of this journey, we will be delving into the backgrounds of these announced projects, speculating on why they never came to be, hypothesizing on what they could have been, and giving you our level of blue balls that these motherfuckers of unrealized films have left us with. First up on the docket is the prequel to both Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. I'm, of course, talking about Double V Vega, a.k.a. The Vega Brothers. But before we order a Royale Cheese and interrogate a police officer, it is my pleasure to welcome in my new cohort here on the church, Monsignor Wheeler. Welcome, Monsignor Wheeler, and may Tarantino be with you always. Amen. It has been a year of us dancing (laughs) together where we were going to do something together. Uh, you, along with Steve, and I have a lot of good friends who have podcasts, but a lot of people had their own podcasts, and you kind of have one that's kind of been quiet, and Steve was doing things, and then it got quiet. So those you two were the people that I've always kind of talked to and have kept in touch the most, and then Frank would probably be number three, along with Pat in there. But Frank's got his own thing, Pat's got his own thing, and so it was just, this just seemed like synergetic. So we were originally going to do something called <laughs> beginning of this year, which will now, by the time everyone hears this, it would have been the beginning of 2023. We were going to do a podcast called Unsolicited B-Picks. Great name. I thought we had a great name for it. But we were going to basically go through a bunch of films, uh, B-movies, and I don't know, we both just didn't feel, you know, we just kind of like, all right, you know, maybe this isn't the, the avenue. So then we were like, I know, we're going to do something for the Tarantino podcast, and we we're going to do uh, something about the cinema speculation book, and we we're going to go through that, and we recorded one episode of that. 
And again, didn't feel like the right shoe for this horse, right? So everybody's doing that now too. I think there's two different podcasts. I know, and I felt the same. I was like, uh, the B pick was a fun thing. It was a great title. I was like, that's not going to cut through any noise. And then we're doing the cinema. I was like, all right, the speculation of, well, run out quickly. And is anyone going to care about what we have to say about what he said in the book? I was like, hmm, maybe not. But then, but then March of 2023 happened. And it started a shitstorm in my world where I have been after this man ever since. And I've said it many times, he gives us blue balls. And you know, we decided let's sit down and find 36 concrete ones. Some with lots of information, some less information. And let's discuss. Let's just have some fun talking shit, being excited, being disappointed. All of the emotions we're going to go through on this new series. So, one, how does it feel? To finally be an official officer of the Church of Tarantino. I mean, it's this close to being in our Congress, right? I mean, it really is. I mean, about We do about as much as the Congress does. So, I mean, you're pretty much a congressman. Oh, kind of. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. We had tried with the other ones. I liked the idea of the first podcast that we had done. But the cinema, I did too. The cinema speculation, we were Steve Smith, the fucking party pooper. I think we were recording the thriller episode with him, with me and him. And I'd sit, we had talked about it and mm-hmm. he made the comment of, cause I was said, well, I'm really excited cause we get to talk about Dirty Harry. And he's like, what more could someone say about Dirty Harry that hasn't been said before in the UK? <laughs> so I just kind of like, I don't know if you remember him saying that or not, but I was like, yeah, man, he's, he's he right. was, you know what? He's a curmudgeonly bastard, but you know what? I, I will give him credit. He, he might've been right on that. Well, he might've been not only that. What more could we add to what we thought he said? You know what I mean? Like it was an idea, but it, you know what? What it was it was the it was the uh, germination of an idea that eventually Tarantino helped. We didn't realize he was going to help spring forward. Not well, just Tarantino. I shouldn't blame him. I should blame the people. We'll have a we'll have a fourth yeah. season. <laughs> knowing him, yeah, I got it. Uh, because you know it's the people who had the lack of asking him questions about the upcoming film. That was a TV series. Uh, why these things happened? That we, it started to germinate. We started to really talk about and think about how many different fucking things has he announced. And you start to look at it and you go, "Holy shit!" Like some of these things, you forget he's even said anything about. Yeah, some of it, though, like after looking at the list that you made, like if he says, "I'm gonna go and take a piss," it makes the news now, and he's making a movie about it. I was gonna say that because you know, for as much as the detractors hate him. I mean, the news, I mean, he honestly, he farts and says, oh, that was a great idea for Jackie Brown, too. And people are like, what? <laughs> Boom. It's, yep. it's headlines. Yeah. And then there's speculation. It's like, as soon as he announced the film, Pauline Kale, they were like, it's got to be about Pauline Kale. It's like, holy shit. Yep. And I, I, I still I still think it's going to be closer to what you and I speculated about it, that it's going to be more of a thriller type movie than what, you know, everyone else is thinking it's going to be. So, But I also don't think it's going to happen at this point. I think it'll be something else that he's already... While he's been sitting for these yeah. months during this fucking strike, he's written something else that he's going to want to do now even more. So well, maybe it's and then we'll have an episode about. <laughs> remember when he was going to do the movie critic? <laughs> I mean, you're not no. far off. It's not. It's, I mean, we haven't heard anything since. And then we're back from I mean, a strike, so we there were could be this but, close but again, to having to do an episode about the hateful eight. You know, all yeah, I know. So remember when he wrote that script and it leaked. <laughs> We're recording a month in the head. So we're so when this comes out, who knows? Who knows what's been announced in the yep. month since we record this to what he you know, maybe nothing. But who I knows? hate to speculate, but <laughs> now can you think of any other director, writer, musician, or fandom that has had more projects announced that have ended up being nothing more than blowhard bullshit than this one? Or at least that's got as much attention as you just said for him, you know. Queefing a, Taylor Swift. a fucking thing, and, and people are like <laughs> Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, but Taylor Swift comes through with some her stuff. Of it. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, there's no way she's on the same level as no, Tarantino. No, there's we couldn't do 36 episodes on on Taylor Swift's. We probably could on. So if you're talking about her boyfriends, we probably no, could go through her love life and be pretty close. I would close. say maybe like James Cameron or um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is another one where it's just like there's been so many projects teased over the years about him that it's like how many times have you heard about King Conan? I mean, I could do a whole season just on yeah, that alone yeah. and your hatred of the Running Man, apparently. So don't hate the Running Man. Do not hate the Running <laughs> Man. It just isn't. This isn't the same. So I was wondering what, what it used to be. <laughs> Some of those movies don't last. So sevens. But anywho, we are not here to discuss The Running Man or Schwarzenegger or anything Sorry. else. We are here to talk about a movie. And I would just, before we jump in, I prefer, because it's gotten two names. It's, I don't know when Double B Vega first fell into line. I think it, I think it comes from someone who did a fan like poster yeah. that made it double big. And I think that's kind of where it that grew its leg, legacy. It but it's always been known up until that time as the Vega yeah. Brothers for me. I always knew it as the Vega Brothers for decades or so. And then, of course, I mean, that cool fucking fan poster comes out. And, like, literally overnight, it becomes that's what the name would have been as Double V Vega. Yep. And even, I think, as we'll talk about it, as you go through some of the articles, it slowly changes over time from, hey, how come you didn't make the Vega Brothers to, hey, how come you haven't made Double V yep. Vega? That's a... The Butcher Billy poster. Personally, I like the Vega Brothers as a as the name. What about you? Which do you prefer the which one? I like I like both. Um, yeah, and the poster you're talking about is I think it's Butcher Billy is the name of the guy that did it. Um mm-hmm. I had a copy, I don't know where the hell it went, but yeah, it's a cool poster. The name I don't really have a preference for it. The double V Vega like doesn't really roll off the tongue the way that the Vega Brothers does. So I, I agree. But Teach their own. It's not made real anyway, so who gives a fuck? Or could it be one day? We shall talk about that. All right, my friends, it is time for you to pour yourself a cognac, open a box of Havanas, and strap yourself in as we embark on our journey through the gargantuan accumulation of blue ball-inducing project announcements spewed from the mouth of our Lord and Savior, Mr. Quentin Tarantino. Our first stop on this arduous expedition is one of his original future movie declarations. And, of course, we're talking about Double V Vega, a.k.a. The Vega Brothers. Now, we're going to give you a little bit of background on when this fucking project was announced and all the details that come around with the announcement and talking of it. Double B Vega, originally known as the Vega Brothers, was first announced in 1994 by Tarantino during an interview while doing press for Pulp Fiction. He mentioned that he wanted to make a prequel film where John Travolta would reprise his role as Vince Vega and Michael Madsen would reprise his role as Vic Vega. Now, in various interviews, QT has revealed small story and character details like the film being set in Amsterdam in the early 90s, prior to the events of both Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, of course. The plot would focus on their time as mob hitmen, and at some point in the film, Vincent would survive a heroin overdose, Winston Wolfe would possibly make an appearance, and it would reveal that there was some sort of alliance between Joe Cabot and Marcellus Wallace. Now, Tarantino envisioned this film as a tribute to John Woo's highly stylized action movies, but the official plot has never truly been fully revealed. Now, over the years, this project was mentioned by Tarantino many times, like in 1996, 1999, 2007, and as recently as 2019. 
In an interview, however, in 2003, Tim Ross said Tarantino had discussed the prequel concept of Reservoir Dogs way back in 92 after the completion of that film. And finally, in a 2003 interview, Mr. Tarantino claimed he had about 70 pages of notes for a storyline for the Vega Brothers. But those notes likely no longer exist because, in 2016, Quentin's house was broken into, and the only item stolen was a safe containing unproduced scripts and treatments. Now, I'm going to turn it over to Monsignor Wheeler to fill in any gaps of this announcement detail that I have missed. Mr. Monsignor, welcome to the show. The spotlight is finally on you. Um, I found a lot of the same information you did. It was going to be revolving around Vincent's time in Amsterdam with, I guess, both of them getting out of prison at the same time and going over there to run one of Marcellus's uh, clubs. He said that at one point, Tarantino had wanted, like, the, he had all kinds of crazy ideas for this thing. And I, he had said to, I think, Michael Madsen at one point that he wanted to, it to be the twin brothers of the two dead characters and it to be a revenge story. And he said that T Quentin was so excited about it, there was nothing he could do but get behind it, even though it made no sense. <laughs> I've also, I had found that they were going to uh, have it said over a weekend of just Vic visiting him um, with some of the notes that got out. And that Vincent had ran a club for Marcellus in Amsterdam for two years, which I think is discussed in Pulp Fiction. So that's where the mm -hmm. story, you know, kind of came from and everything. So that's what I found. Now, I feel like this starts off at the beginning of Vincent's tenure over there. With the way these stories turn, now again, I don't, and I, maybe in this story, it would give us a good reason why neither brothers seem to be too close because... As we'll discuss, I feel like the order of the movies, we'll get into a little bit later, goes like this, maybe Pulp and then Dogs, based on the order of events and things that happen. Obviously, we both know that both brothers die, not in this movie, but they die. Uh, I had heard as well as you did uh, in these early stories that uh, it was going to be maybe Vic was just visiting over a weekend. I am stunned by my last bit of information I found, and I don't know how I missed this, but this that's an inside job. That Tarantino safe stealing. Now, whether it's 100% true or not, I could not get much more information out of it. It's kind of like when you find out like the, his car had been stolen. Like all of a sudden, when it gets returned to him, you go, I didn't even know it was stolen. You know, it's like gone 20 years. Next thing you know, it's returned. You're like, when did that get stolen? Um, so this is another one of those like someone broke in and stole this safe. Now, that to me is the, I now have a new favorite idea of what the glow is in the briefcase. <laughs> it's these Tarantino projects. <laughs> And maybe this, maybe this is our fucking, maybe this is our quest now. Maybe our new quest at the end of this series is we now go Indiana Jones style to find this fucking holy grail and uh, get these, these well, back. I just got done watching the Pam and Tommy Lee thing that was the six <laughs> episodes. And essentially, because I've, through my own, like, people, like, obviously they know I'm a Tarantino fanatic and, like, I keep mm -hmm. hearing little stories and they always, once in a while you'll hear a story about him fucking a projectionist over in Britain. It, like, I'll hear about it from one of the artists from my record label and stuff where... They when you were, say fucking, we're talking about good old-fashioned in-out, in-out, and not fucking yeah, over. It, yeah, some good old-fashioned, okay, okay. you know, the in-out. Yeah. <laughs> the old yeah, in-out. <laughs> and, like, so I've heard, I think, three stories like that where it's like, well, he was over here and they were showing Reservoir Dogs and, like, you know, he's upstairs and stuff. And I'm like, oh, really? So hopefully he doesn't have anything like that in the safe because <laughs> that's the last thing <laughs> listen i hope he does because now we can use that as leverage to get some of these things produced i'm saying i'm, I'm, I'm a little leverage <laughs> low leverage all right but so that is our background on this original announcement and as i said to lead this in this is what i can recall as the very first announcement ever made by him now 
Again, 94 is when he explodes. That's why this entire season of season three is about Pulp Fiction. Whether it's your favorite film, his or not, in my opinion, it is his most important film. Without it, we don't have the 90s cinema like we do. Without it, we don't have Tarantino like we know him. Some may say that his Once Upon a Time, like Keith claims it's his best film, whatever. I still think Pulp Fiction changed the game and changed him forever. So anything he did prior to that, obviously he sold True Romance, he sold Natural Born Killers, uh, he had his buddy Rodriguez do From Dust Till That's Dawn. The first one I heard so he had some other projects out there that he could have used, yeah. but nothing else we talked, you know, that was announced that didn't come to fruition. No one heard about in sense from between Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. So this was the first. So like I said, the interview with Tim Roth was just discussing a prequel that he had talked about, much like he and Uma talked about how. They would take the Fox Force 5 idea from Pulp Fiction and eventually it would germinate into Kill Bill and the, you know, the character of the bride. So, and if you ever see that, you can find online, if you listen to Tarantino read the original Kill Bill script that Rodriguez records, it is a completely different film than the film we see. That is where this all came from. And this was his first because at this point, he could have said anything. And actually, it, it does feel like now that he farts, it is something we listen to. Everyone writes down whatever they like him or not. It becomes almost a Bible. It's written in stone that he said this, and this is what must happen. And it's why it's one of the more frustrating but yet exciting fandoms you can be a part of. Because you just never know what you're going to fucking get. Usually the stuff you get excited about doesn't happen, and the stuff you go to see, you had no idea what it was going to be like, and you go, holy shit, that was amazing. So it's, there's a yin and a yang to, to all of these announcements. This one especially, though, because of how in the pulp culture and everything and how much it changed cinema with the pulp fiction and the reservoir dogs. Mm -hmm. It's so unique that you're taking two characters that are that beloved and putting them into a new story together, which you don't ever see unless it's like a star Wars or like Marvel or something, you know, mm -hmm. you don't just see it in normal movies where all of a sudden I think, you know, the first time I'd ever seen it was actually Michael Keaton pulling the, you know, dual role from out of sight into Jackie Brown, which he could show up in this movie too. Like, you know, you know how cool would that be? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's yeah. just it's such a unique idea and everything that he did it. But at the time when he was teasing it, he had no idea that Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction was going to take off the way that it did and then have the staying power that it had as well. I wonder how much of uh, Travolta, and we'll get into that in the speculation part, but how much of Travolta's sudden rise to stardom made it hard for him to now get the time with John. Because John was, John was doing Look Who's Talking. Yeah. Right? That's what John Travolta was doing prior to Pulp yep. Fiction. After Pulp Fiction, he had a run of a, just shy of a decade of you know, being being a uh, a main marquee guy. So, but now it's that time when reality comes crashing down upon us, and we realize why this project never came to be. Well, it's I think it's because Travolta's doing Santa Claus commercials. I don't know if you've seen that shit or not yet. But. <laughs> well, this ended back in the '90s. This there a thing. The very first one is the biggest obstacle to making this film is the age was and still is the age of both actors. At the time in 1995, John Travolta was 41 years old and Michael Madsen was 38. Now, since this film would be a prequel, it would have required both actors to play younger versions of themselves, which became less believable the more years that have passed. However, there was one point in recent years that Mr. Tarantino considered digitally de-aging both Travolta and Madsen to be able to play younger versions of themselves, a la The Irishman, but the technology at the time wasn't at a level he felt happy with, so the idea was scrapped. And I'm glad they did, because if you watch The Irishman, as much as I love Pesci and I love De Niro, watching De Niro try to play a younger version of himself because he's de-aged and fight, it is like watching an old man really fight. It's a slow motion fight. It's not good. And they should have just, I would have rather had a motion capture or something of him. Mm -hmm. 
I'd rather have a CGI of him fighting him than what we see in that the film. The new um, Indiana Jones pulled it off. I mean, it is. Po- I, they pulled it off pretty good. They pulled it up pretty decently. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. But, but again, that was what? Two, this is two, two years ago. <laughs> there, there's that. Yes. Now, with Travolta currently <laughs> being 69, and Mr. Madsen now at 66, and Tarantino saying he has only one film left in him, it's safe to say we will never see the Vega Brothers or Double V Vega, whichever one you prefer, come to light. However, however, there's still a glimmer, and this is another blue balls. <laughs> it's a blue balls inside of blue balls. You're going to double blue balls. However, in 2016, in an interview with We Got This Covered, Tarantino was asked about Double V Vega, and he responded saying that he just might make a novel out of the idea. A statement he made again in 2019 while promoting Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in an article for Slash Film. Quentin stated that if he could come up with a cool catastrophe, I love that statement, for the characters to go through, then he'd do the project as a novel. So unless someone else directs this film and casts completely different actors to play the titular roles, it is very likely this film will ever see the light of day. However, however, Tarantino fans, the project isn't completely dead and buried just yet. There is still hope that during his retirement from directing, Tarantino will turn this into a novel. And I think I speak for a lot of us when I say, at this point, I'd rather see it as a novel than see someone recast. Unless someone can find me some people that are really, really reckon, you know, would really knock this out of the park as being younger. Or maybe wait till I'm in my 80s and do it. And I won't even care at that point because I'll be like, ah, that seems right. <laughs> so that is what I found and why we still have a very powerful lingering blue balls syndrome for this project. Mr. I'm sorry, Mr. Monsignor, I apologize for not giving you the proper term that you deserve. Monsignor, have you found anything else on why this film never was, never will be, that I did not cover? Well, first of all, for anybody that's listening that doesn't know, this man gets really, really excited when he has a new idea. And then he'll go and do an interview and they'll say, so what are you thinking about? And he's just (laughs) like, well, I had a dog chasing a cat idea with a gun. And then they go and they fucking do it. You know, like it, all of a sudden, <laughs> Reservoir yeah, Dogs and all of a sudden he's doing pulp, pulp, pulp canine and shit. And it's, you know, Reservoir Cats, <laughs> all kinds of shit. And it, it's like, what the fuck, <laughs> man? Like so anything he thinks of, like if he just has this. And that's how Inglourious, the first time I heard about Inglourious Bastard, he's like, well, I had an idea about a war film. I was like, oh, oh, shit. You know, and he was all excited about it. And I'm like, yeah, we'll never fucking see it. So this is actually, I didn't know about the Vega Brothers till like the 2000s, I think. I had heard about mm. From Dust Till Dawn long before where he had said he'd, um, in an interview I saw, he had written a script about Mexican vampires. Like that was the first like mm-hmm. real blue ball thing. And then it went for a year or two and then it finally came out. But I read a lot of the same stuff that he does not like the... He wants to do everything practical effects. He doesn't want to do any de-aging process, and he hated the Irishman for that. But I also know that he gets distracted where he'll have a new bright idea and then another new bright idea. So, And it, it kind of sucks because this is the one with all the teasing the rumors that I was probably the most excited about. I mean, they're not just mm-hmm. the films and characters. They're legendary films and characters now. And taking those in a new story in a new direction and everything would have been really cool. But I understand the de-aging thing. It would have distracted from the film a lot. Also, I think that the trajectory that he was on after Jackie Brown, where he took the few years off and everything, I think if he stopped to to make this movie, it would have stunted his growth as a filmmaker, and we wouldn't see the later films that we got, such as The Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's that's a very good point. We'll we'll speculate a little bit more. Yeah, I've got more on that. It's a very good point. 
It's one of those, it is one of those fun things. That it's always those what if moments, you know? It's those cool, like in a parallel universe somewhere, Double V Vega, re, you know, exists. And did it do well or did it shit the bed? You know what I mean? Did our Travolta and Mattson good together on screen? You know, it would have been a interesting, interesting time. It would have been interesting. And, you know, he was in his crime days. So when he says John Woo, I mean, we saw what he was able to do nine years later from Pulp Fiction. I wonder if he would have done Jackie Brown, waited, and then done Double V Vega. Again, still pushing the age of both characters at that point. Because at that point, what well, I said, in 895, they were 41. So he does this in even 2000. That's six years. Well, John's 47. The, Mike's 44. Look at the difference of Michael Madsen on screen from Reservoir Dogs to Kill Bill. Oh, I know. Well, that's, that's 11 years. I mean, yeah, it's big. Fucking, it's big. Yeah. Like, he looks like leather in that movie, you know? Yeah. So I mean, it wouldn't have worked that way. He would have had to do it before Jackie Brown. That's the only way we know we would have gone for it. And I'll be honest with you, they wouldn't have been playing that much younger versions of themselves at that point. We still would have been able to believe it because it was so close together. We wouldn't have been that big of a stretch, you know. A little bit of makeup back then, and maybe some hair coloring. They would have, you know, maybe John would have had to lose a little bit of weight. That you know, I might have, you know, thin him out just because he was a little heavier set in that one. It makes him look a little bit like maybe his time eating all these burgers, having all these drugs, put on a little weight could you know had some effect, but. Who knows? Yeah. However, I know this is so about his blue balls. He's got me again. He's blue balling me again because if it could become a novel, like most of the things we're going to discuss, especially some of the big ones, like we'll get to Kill Bill, Volume 3, the whole Blade Fair kind of thing. If some of those things end up being novels and we get them, because I'll be honest, I really enjoyed the novel version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I it's really five out of enjoyed five it. if you ever read it for listeners. It's uh, so good. I mean, it, it just only enhances even though some things have changed like you have to read i don't want to give anything away but it enhances what the movie was so it's, it's such a great compendium so if he's able to do that i'd still be upset that we didn't get this film but i would at least be like all right all right thank you you know because those of you who don't know heat 2 is now in the works as michael mann's next film and heat 2 deals with the before and after of heat and if you don't know heat came out in 1997 and we are almost 30 years since then, so I don't know how they plan on doing this, especially when Val Kimmer's character is the only one who was alive, mm -hmm. and he now can't talk because he has throat cancer. So I had this bad feeling that Mr. Mr. Man has put himself into a corner on this and might have been just better off leaving it as a novel because a lot of, I mean, you, you talk about some scrutiny, it's going to be a lot of scrutiny on that film. Well, I, you know, it's that, gonna, I had scrutiny and the, the casting of it. it's gonna be a big scrutiny. Uh, I I didn't even make it halfway through. I couldn't like I couldn't finish it because it was so bad. So I don't. Oh yeah, the book. The, I don't yeah. know. And there I was go. telling you, like I think I was messaging you, like the best part of it was the guy that was reading the fucking audio book to me because his voice. If you remember, like his voice, <laughs> he's just like. So anyway, yeah, this happens, and I was like, I was laughing about it, and actually texted you about it because, but the storyline <laughs> was just terrible. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, how can it, it basically is the continuation of the ending that you fucking hate. Anyway, it just it just goes it keeps going downhill. And I don't know if it ever picked up or not, but I don't know. I didn't like it. So so that's why this might we might as fandoms be saved from this movie, this being a book and us enjoying because like you know, said I've always gone as a person. Um, one of my favorite films is One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest, and I saw that film first and then read the book, and that book is one of my favorites of all time, and I'm glad I did it in that order because I already had the voice of the characters, yep. and it only enhanced my love of the story. I don't know if I would have liked it in reverse. So the Church of Tarantino is just suggesting 
Watch the film first. Read the book. It'll only make yeah, you feel better because you get more information. You're thought. never going to get a 30,000-page book into a movie that's going to no. make you feel good about it. I had that happen with Green Mile where I read the book after I saw the movie and, like, you start picturing, you know, and you hear it in their voices mm-hmm. and everything, all the extra stuff. But I know that Tarantino had said, I don't remember where the hell I'd read it, but he was talking about doing, like, like books, like Stephen King used to do where there would be, like, four or five short stories in there. And he wanted yes. to do Pulp Fiction books where this would fit in perfectly and it doesn't need to be a long drawn mm-hmm. out story if it's over set mm-hmm. over a weekend or something like he could do that with his characters yeah. and just you know keep filling in the cracks what happened to jackie after she left you know did max show up on the beach you know wherever the hell she went however there are certain stories sometimes just good yeah. not knowing it's kind of fun as long as he never gives up information like what's in the case i don't i don't give a fuck about what's in the case at this point i i, I want that to be the greatest non-discovered MacGuffin. Ever, I just wanted to be left alone. Kind of like, do you really want to know at the end of Inception if the thing topples over, the little trinket falls or not? It's better to have the conversation about it. Did it fall? Didn't fall? Why you believe it? Why you don't? Sometimes leaving a movie open ended is fun. The thing is, another one like I don't want to know. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to know. I I, I have ideas based on what I see on screen and everything, but number one, I'm not sending Carpenter any more fucking money to find out. (laughs) 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 Oh. All right, well, let's talk about what this film might have looked like. I like the idea of it starting off where the two of them somehow are brought together. I, I feel like Vincent's just gotten over there. Maybe Vic has been sent over there because there's a little heat. Maybe there's some heat for whatever he got arrested for or whatever and while he's waiting his trial or, or whatever. Maybe something like that. He gets sent over there. And he's working with them. Again, we don't really know why they're working together, why they're there. I kind of like it better where he's visiting and he's not working. And they don't get along. I don't think they get along. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They're completely different. One of them is half fucking crazy. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe it could just be as as simple as, you know, maybe he needs, you know, some time. You know, maybe he just finished a job with Joe. And part of the cool down period is he goes overseas, sees his brother. You know, maybe it was a job, some, you know, somehow he'd work in like Mars. There'd be some kind of correlation. The one thing I don't like, and again, just remember, we don't need to see Mr. Mr. Wolf. Mr. Wolf doesn't make, doesn't play because it doesn't play into what happens in Pulp Fiction because Vincent's never met this man. The only person who knows about this man's reputation is Jules. And that's what's like, oh, you sent on the wolf. Oh, you happy now, motherfucker. <laughs> but I like it better in Pulp Fiction when we learn about we Winston the Wolf then. I like, again, it's that we don't know his whole reputation. But we don't need to. I like that there's no, you know, it's a, he's a little bit mysterious, you know. Why is he in a tuxedo at 10 a.m. in the morning at a hotel playing some kind of game of poker, it seems like? Was it an all-nighter? That's a Did they play thing. early? The, you know? the high-stakes game, I think, is what he was doing. I know, but everyone there is like, it doesn't, it's not like a Sopranos look, though. It looks like a bunch of rich at a people, funeral. like rich white at a people. Funeral. Ex- like, exactly, but it's like, it's like 8, 10 yeah. in the morning, and no one looks <laughs> tired. They all look like they just got up early for this. So is it some kind of like blue, blue-haired special? Like, you know, I don't know. I like the mystery of who he is. So him coming over is not fun. I, I don't wouldn't want him there. So I do like the idea of there just being something. And I like that he said that if he could find a catastrophic event for them to go through. I fucking love that idea. So I feel like, you know, uh, we, we get a little bit more on why they aren't so close. What do you think the film would be like? Obviously, we're going to be in Amsterdam. We're going to have some foreign actors. I mean, because obviously we're in Amsterdam. And... You know, and anyone who doesn't know is Tarantino did spend quite a bit of time writing Pulp Fiction in Amsterdam and over in France, which is why you get a lot of this information in Pulp Fiction. And, you know, it wasn't just like he pulled out of his ass. He actually spent some time 
And if you li- if you listen to what Tarantino has Vincent say, I'm pretty sure Tarantino also tried some of the local drugs, and he now has an idea about how good some of those local drugs truly are. Yeah. Well, enough. first, I want everybody to close their eyes that's not driving and listen to this and think about the, the idea of a McDonald's and in walks Vic and Vincent Vega together mm. to get a Royale with cheese and to mm. order a beer with it. And then they look over and somebody's fucking dipping their fries in fucking mayonnaise. That feels like the opening scene, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like they're, they're that's so, our cold open. That's your cold open. Is It's just a welcome to McDonald's or whatever the fuck they say over in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. you know, and they walk in together and it's, you know, they're sitting there fucking sharing a meal. Like you cannot have, a. The, that would be almost more iconic than anything that, you know, because he's already set this all up and you know that the other one likes fast food as well. So from Reservoir Dogs because he, yeah. Yes. Um, Would you put the fries with yeah, that shit? So, I mean, that's right. obviously, that's like the first <laughs> thing when you talk about this movie, that's the first thing I thought of. And then yeah. I remember that there's a deleted scene in Pulp Fiction where during the scene with Mia and Vincent when they're on the date together where she's, they're talking about Amsterdam and how she goes there. And he mentions um, it's a hash bar called the Cobra that he frequented. And she basically was fucking living there when she goes and like her pictures behind the bar and he knew the picture and everything. And it would be really cool. Like for a scene of that, where, you know, you get the, the wig and stuff from behind. Cause obviously they're not going to know who it is. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking it'd be a cool, like, um, it'd just be a cool, even like we don't know it's her, but it'd be a cool yeah, moment the, the where hair. like when you finally watch Pulp Fiction, you know, that the opening scene is happening at the ending scene as yep. well. And you then know that Travolta's walked by you. Because you don't know he's got long hair and he's going to the bathroom. And you're not paying attention. It would be cool for another moment where maybe same thing. Vincent is sitting with his back to her. Vic's here. We have no idea. And she like walks by, you know, just walks. And we have, it's just one of those things. She's And that's it. She's in the scene for two seconds, walks by. And it's just that knowledge that, hey, at one point, these two were in town yeah. at the same time. I had no idea who they were. That'd be fucking Yeah, and awesome. I thought about that one the other night because I'm like, I could have swore there was a scene where it was discussed or maybe it was in the script book that I've read through a few times. Um, I mean, obviously, you have the Ving Rhames character that could come back as well. Yeah, he would be more like a phone yeah, call kind of thing. could also... There could be a phone call to nice guy Eddie back in the day. Like, what the fuck are you doing over there? Yeah, You're supposed to be watching to be nice our guy. warehouses. What the fuck's going on? Like, yeah. I'm going to call a snake charmer to come get you at something, <laughs> some bullshit. But, you know, and obviously I mentioned the Uma Thurman thing, but you could have Jules or Ordell even. I mean, you don't know. Maybe Ordell or Mr. Walker, who works with Ordell, selling them weapons. Yeah. Like, you don't know. There's all kinds of shit that I'm sure Quentin could have pulled into this. So, but What I also like is that it opens up the ability for it to be people what we never see again. Yep. That just come in and out. You know what I mean? Like, like, like these are new people who are now part of the world. And then eventually he probably would have weaved them in prob- probably in Unglorious Bastards. Because when's the next time we're going to be in Europe? When's the next time you can kind of use that? We could have been some threads that were in, in Glorious Bastards. That yep. could have been weaved We could have had a Hans well. Landa fucking. Still can. I mean, if it's a if it's a novel, there's still options. There's still a chance. Yep. But if there's a novel, just just watch for... A moment where he talks about a woman walking by and describes her, but we have no name for her. That will be Mia Wallace walking through uh, a scene that we don't know. I hope he's just. I hope it's just as Nakus as like, oh yeah, that's just what it is. You know, I'd be. I don't want it to be beaten over the head with. I just want us to get it. Yeah, this this could have been something. Um, obviously, there's going to be some kind of violence. It's going to be surprising uh, because they're both probably over there to try to do something. There's going to be maybe maybe Vic came over to help help Vincent with a job. Needed some help, or while over there visiting, got Vincent got called about a job that just suddenly had to it had to get yep. done. So it's something, something, something big. Because whatever happens, it would then marry into why Marcellus is so happy to see him again when we see him in the Vincent bar. Vega. 
My- <laughs> can't finish it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Because like, there's a, there's a real. We know that Vincent's a big to do. Yeah, he may be bigger to do than Jules. He trusts Vincent so much, he's going to allow him with maybe all the rumors swirling about what his princess has or hasn't done before over Holy there. Because there's that rumor, like everyone seems to know about Mia except for John. Or I should say Vincent. And he entrusts Vincent with her and her safety. And so Vincent's a very big character, a very big person. I mean, he's more important, I think, to to Marcellus than Jules is. For whatever happens in Amsterdam. So this story would have kind of filled in some gaps that just a spitballing can do. But maybe the book. And again, this is the tough part. He announces it. If he does it, he's good. Like you said, it's going to have to be better than Heat 2. It's going to have to really have that punch. Well, he gets to suck. expand on that the Mr. Blonde character because like oh yes for if you really think about it he's not on screen for that much I mean fuck he dies halfway Mm-mm. through the movie at like what the forty five minute mark or something he gets to expand on so much and the cool thing about that character is it's on screen like what does he have two lines at the beginning mm-hmm. of the film and they're both like fucking memorable and like everything he does mm-hmm. for the whole movie is extremely memorable so you get to expand on that the other thing I wanted to talk about is the fucking music. Because Pulp Fiction has that surf music theme through mm-hmm. the whole thing. And then you've got the bubblegum stuff from Reservoir Dogs. And there's a bunch of music that is those two tied together. And he could have used a whole bunch of that shit to fill this in. You know, like mm-hmm. it would have been a really cool, you know, the whole thing. It just makes me want to make a, a fucking playlist of stuff that would fit into this movie. <laughs> and add for gone the podcast, but. And he'd also probably pull some kind of music from over there that was cool. Some kind of pop music that would work. Because obviously... Some of it's going to be in the bars yeah. and stuff. Right? So he's always got that, you know, stuff that's actually the people listening fucking to. Neil so, Diamond in another language, <laughs> you know? David Hasselhoff. <laughs> he's big in fucking Germany. That'd be fantastic. Somehow Hasselhoff is in there. Uh, but we've kind of talked about what possible cast. Obviously, Travolta, Matson are in. There's a chance that we're going to hear or see briefly Ving Rhames, Chris Penn, maybe even Lawrence Tierney back in the day before he died. Could have possibly made an appearance. Uh, Uma Thurman maybe has a cameo that we don't see. But it's hard to tell. I don't think anyone else we know is going to be cast, so it's going to be foreign actors, and I'm I don't have the breadth of knowledge of who was a big actor overseas or even on the shores that could have filled in the gaps back in the late nineties. Too, it would have been a lot of your cast yeah. would have looked like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, all the yes. surrounding characters, yeah. and you would have had probably yeah. some crazy fucking people coming in there. Like that's what it would have led to. Maybe Jean Reno, you know? I mean. He could, um, you know, he was a big French so actor. Good. He could, he could have been in the at that point, you know. I mean, so he good. would have filled in. He'd have been great. Yeah, he'd have been good in that. But we'll never know. Maybe Gerard Depardieu. He has a look of a Tarantino, right? Like he looks like he would fit in he something. Looks like a Muppet. Who fucking knows? Also, um, those who don't know, uh, Killing Zoe yeah. is a movie from Avery that has some ties to some of the things we we hear about. That could have been also weaved into a world over there as well. So a lot. Of juicy possibilities were left on the on the table, and maybe we'll find out. And if there's if the novel ever does see the light of day, if this project ever is resurrected in novel form, who knows? Who knows what it'll be like? Yeah, like I'm kind of like there's a part of me that's like really like, oh god, I wish he'd have made this fucking movie. But then I know that it would have kept him in the crime stuff even longer. We might not have gotten Kill Bill and you know all the stuff that he might not have done. Jackie Brown. Yeah, he might have done this as his first three, and we would have then gone to. 
Kill Bill. He might have just skipped past Jackie Brown at this point. Those first three movies feel so personal. Like they're they seem like mm-hmm. tiny movies, but they're not because I think it's because I saw them early on and stuff. Where now Pulp Fiction has like this aura about it, but I think this movie would have fit in more with the feel of the first three movies. Where he could even done this and connected it to Jackie Brown, connected it to Pulp Fiction, it connected to Reservoir Dogs. If he was really smart about it, you know, there could have been a way, you know. When he gets back, he goes to Cherry Bell Bonds, where he's walking into the building. Right there, you're tied into the whole Quentin Tarantino universe because mm-hmm. he's going to need a bail bondsman because he he knows he's going to fucking jail. You know, when he gets back over to the state or whatever. Yeah. So there's so much shit that he could have done with this. So I don't know if you had thought about that one or not, but but then again, the other thing that Tarantino is good at though too is also those very lightly treading connections too. He's not very heavy handed. Even though we, you know, obviously his first film, you're like, oh, Vic Vega. And if you're not paying attention, when Mr. Blonde is introduced, it's the only time we know his name is Vic Vega. You know, it's Vic Vega's here. Who? Vic Vega. Hey, dude, Vic Vic. You know, that, that whole thing. We know that. And then, you know, Vincent Vega. And then you go, oh, shit, I think, are those brothers? And then obviously he comes out and says, ah, but I mean, they, you know, other than that, that's the combination, yeah. but they don't tie anything, you know? So he's not very heavy handed with his, his ties. You know, he, he doesn't come across, hey, slap you across the face and go, this person's connected to this person, you know? I mean, it could have been just as simple as he drives by it. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many things he could have done very subtly that he likes to do with Sniper Henry. Which, like, I think we both agreed, Uma Thurman walks through in the background, and if you're not paying attention, you don't notice. But someone brings it up to you and go, hey, did you notice that she's in there? Not a credited cameo. And you're like, what? And then you go back and watch. You go, holy shit, she did walk through. Because you'd be locked in on this conversation between the two brothers. Wouldn't even pay attention to her. It'd be like the stuntman Mike scene where, like, I- I've actually talked to people that didn't. Yes. Like, what? He's in the mm-hmm. background. I'm like, yeah, you can't take your eyes off the fucking girl. He even turns and yeah. looks at you. I mean, that's how much, that's how blatant he is. He just yep. turns and looks at you and you still aren't, if you're not paying attention, A lot of people attention. miss that because, and I, even if it was just where Travolta went up to pay for it and you see that picture of her with the fish over mm-hmm. the bar or something, she's like, you remember the yeah. picture of the big fish? I'm one of the girls in the cowboy hat. And like, they could have had that. And, you know, even if, like we said, if you just saw it from behind. So there's a lot of things he could have done with this to tie it into the other movies that he had. And, you know, like Bruce Willis could have showed up. I mean, there's a bunch of them that, you know, he could have got maybe further for, you know. Not as um, Mm -hmm. the fighter, obviously, Butch, but... Now, what do we think this film's impact on his filmography might have been? I feel like this film would have expanded his universe like no film of his has, prior to or since. This would have been an official trilogy. This film would have made both Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction sequels that they currently aren't, right? Because... That's the thread that ties them together. So they're offshoot sequels. They're just sequels of, so it's like the Vega Brothers. And then the sequel of Vincent's story is Pulp Fiction. And the sequel and ending of Vic's story is Reservoir Dogs, right? Like it becomes a weird trilogy yeah. that's a different trilogy that most stories don't and get. This whole movie, you know, would, it wouldn't be straightforward. It's all fucked up time and everything. Oh, hell no. Hell, yeah. absolutely. That's what I said. We have the opening scene where they're going into McDonald's. And that's that, you know what I mean? And then it jumps to it something else. Yeah. And probably we find out why Vix gets sent over there. You know what I mean? Yep. Who knows? And that's why those 70 pages of notes are Somebody fucking Somebody sitting reading that shit jerking <laughs> off right now. Like, oh, God, this would have been a great fucking movie. Oh, like, you dick. It's in worse shape than the Lincoln letter. <laughs> I spit on it. <laughs> now, with this film, that wouldn't make the order. The Vega Brothers, Pulp Fiction, and Reservoir Dogs. I feel that Vincent dies 
while Vic's in prison. Because what he did about five years. I feel Vincent dies when he comes home. I feel like Vic goes to prison when he went by the, you know, he's over there weekend. Vincent's just there. He's already in prison halfway through his sentence when, when Vincent comes home. Because he's only home a little bit before, he's, before yeah. he dies, before he's killed. So Vincent dies before Vic gets out. Vic gets out. Literally, as soon as he gets out, he probably already knows his brother's dead. And then he goes ahead and gets killed. So I feel that there would be the Vega Brothers, Pulp Fiction, and Reservoir Dogs would be the sequential order you could watch the movies in. However, I would still suggest everyone watch Dogs, Fiction, and then you watch the Vega Brothers, the way they were put out. Because I think that's the proper. And doesn't that also fit into how Tarantino does his nonlinear stories? Yeah, anyways? you could have done a character arc on that where we were talking like they don't like each other. They don't get along. By the end of the movie, I don't they think do they get along. Because yeah. something happened to Blonde from the time that he was arrested while he was in prison and he got out because, like, nice guy Eddie, like, I think he was kind of surprised to hear what had happened and everything, even though. I don't think he totally mm-hmm. believed it, but maybe the brother being killed was one of the things that pushed him over the edge while he was in jail. You know, like you could even have. Well, he makes that one statement. I don't like alarms, Mister White. That's not that just from that. That could have come back. That is that is for, <laughs> that, yeah. That is that is exactly. I was thinking there's some kind of alarm that's setting something. That's the, there's a catastrophe. I don't like alarm. Like so shit happened, <laughs> or maybe they were good. Maybe they were decent to each other until the catastrophe they went through. Maybe that would make it. More it could be the reverse. You know, they may not be adversaries when they first meet, get there, but they could be after things happen. Yeah. Especially if if he has his heroin overdose, whatever, and Vic's got to take care of him. And think about it, if it's going to be a Tarantino film, he's having this overdose in the middle of the shit, right? Like he's having the overdose in the middle of whatever shit went down. It feels like Vic is taking care of Vincent. In, in in my head, Vincent's in the hospital and he wakes up and he just sees these knuckles that say "buck" and "fuck" right at the end of the. <laughs> there, you're tying in another movie. <laughs> my name is Pierre. I'm here to fuck your dirty air. <laughs> French rapist. That's for you, Pat. The Swedish rapist, and then they cut in the hardcore. Well, it could be God. all kinds of rapists. <laughs> it's turning into thriller. Pop shots for everybody. So now comes the segment of us describing to you the level of blue balls that this motherfucker has given us. Now, for each project we will discuss, we will rate the level of blue balls that these projects, not being realized, has given us based on the following five shades of blue. And I had a real good time coming up with these, so I'm going to be honest with you. They are baby blue balls, which is a very low level. It's a mild discomfort the next level on this horror chain of shading is sky blue balls. There's some troubling tingling going on. The midpoint is the royal blue balls. It's a wince-inducing throbbing. We're starting to get into danger territory on the fourth level. That's navy blue balls. There is an agonizing pelvic aching. And last but not least, you get midnight blue balls where you must ejaculate or die type of misery. So, since this is our first, our, our first trip down memory lane... Monsignor Wheeler. <laughs> this church you do not have to be abstinent in, and uh, we are not around children. Both of those things are a good thing. However, we do have to give a level of blue balls. And Mr. Monsignor Wheeler, what level of blue balls does this project being unfulfilled give you? I This gives me a four. A navy blue. Okay, a navy blue ball. It's not the worst, but it's something I would have loved to see, but I also wouldn't have wanted it to... I know that he wanted to grow as a filmmaker, and I think that this would have kept him in that genre longer. Maybe we wouldn't have had Jackie Brown, which I guess the point I'm making is that I'm not willing to part with any of the nine films to get this film. 
I don't know if you feel that way or not, but that's fair. That's fair. You know, like it, I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the other night, and it it finally hit me that all these other movies are like homages to all these movies that he grew up loving, and I think that's his first movie that is it's his most personal film about him, about him growing up in the film business and becoming a man and everything. And I don't think that we get to that point if something's interrupted along the way, you know, like that alternate fucking back to the future verse that we would have. And that's the only reason it's not a five for me. I love Pulp Fiction. I love Reservoir Dogs. I love Jackie Brown. I love that, you know, he could have tied those first two movies together and everything, but I'm not willing to give up any of the nine movies, including Death Proof or Hateful Eight for the fucking haters out there. Mm. I wouldn't give those up for you know, to, to see this, I, I would, I'll, if he writes the book, I'll sit down. If somebody else directs it, I'll go see it. But if it meant that he wasn't going to fucking do the other, any of the other movies, I wouldn't have, I'd never give that up for anything. I did not, <laughs> I did not take my answer as deep into consideration as you. I give this a midnight blue balls. This is the full heavy load. This is so much pain. When we're done recording, I may have to spend some time alone. Is this the rock where the prom queen doesn't put out at the end of the night? <laughs> yeah. So this, the reason being is the first two films were so impactful on me at the age I saw them. I absolutely loved both Vic and Vincent's characters that I truly wanted to see this film. I still wanted to stay in Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs land. It may have been why when I first saw Jackie Brown, as much as I love that film, it was a little bit of a letdown for me. Not because of lack of violence, but maybe because I was used to the world he had already created in the first two films. Which is why when you get six years separation between that film and then Kill Bill and you go a different direction, it felt new and fresh and it was a break from what we had. And I was glad he got away from just doing nothing but crime. I mean, there's still crime films, but it's completely different. He goes in different directions, starts doing a whole bunch of crazy, amazing things. And I'm absolutely glad. Uh, I too would not want to give up any of these films in order to get that film, but I would like to have this film and add it to it and keep it going from past 10. But yes, for me, I remember thinking about this film and I knew early though, I knew by Jackie or not by Jackie Brown, I apologize. I knew by Kill Bill, this was never happening. 10 years down the road, it was yeah. over with. John Travolta was no longer the actor he was. And when you and I love Michael Madsen. He hadn't been in anything until he got to Kill Bill. So it had been almost 12 years since we'd seen him on screen. And obviously it aged. Of course he aged. Jesus Christ. I mean, it was 12 years. So that was not going to happen. And so obviously my level has obviously over time has definitely dissipated because it's not a reality. It's never going to happen. But mm, to me, this is the movie. This is the one that got away. Of all the ones we're going to talk about, this may be one of the ones that's the most personal because of how much I love the films that it's associated with. And more so than when we talk about Kill Bill Volume 3, I would have loved to see, I would rather see this film than a Kill Bill Volume 3, in my yeah, opinion. I would rather see too. this be the it's prequel, sequel Kill kind Bill. of thing. My, but, my, and Michael Madsen was in a lot of movies between Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs. He but, was, and he got, he got a few He got a few. The in man there. never shines on screen as much as he does when he's delivering Tarantino no. dialogue, and that's the reason he's mm -hmm. never become a bigger star. Um, you watch Species. It's a great fucking movie. He's good in it, but he's not great in it. And look at I, I, look at Kill Bill. He's in the movie for, what, 20 mm. minutes? And he the, all the emotional impact in that first half of that movie is all him. Oh, God. I mean, he shows up on our screen for the first time in 12 years. The last time we see him, he is dancing around joyfully with a fucking razor blade, cutting people's ears off. And then we see him as this sad sack of shit yep. who life has gone ter not good for him since the events of killing, trying to kill the bride. He's bounced with a titty bar who doesn't know when he fucking works. And then he's got to go see Rocket and clean the shitter water. <laughs> so, I mean, oh my it's God. The, his his performance in that, to be able to step on screen 
and everyone think, oh my God, there's Mr. Blonde, and then become Bud and make us forget. And then again, in the movie behind me, another decade later, step on screen, he's Grouch Marks. Or Grouch, Grouch yeah. Douglas. Yeah, he's Groucho Marx. He's fucking Grouch <laughs> Douglas. Yeah, Grouch, he plays a Marx brother in The Hateful Eight. Who knew? Um, when he comes on as Grouch Douglas in The Hateful Eight, again, a long-in-the-tooth kind of bad guy, but he, he plays all the three roles he's been in fantastic. And hell, he's even good in his little cameo and fucking... Yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time Which in Hollywood. Which he was fucking hurts like really bad he could barely fucking stand there and like i was wishing he'd be in it more i was hoping that they ever did the bounty law tv show he would show up <laughs> let me ask you because other than these two let's say he made a sequel to any other film what would be your choice well this is this is gonna be self-serving because myself on our very first special tarantino movie uh episode i wanted a sequel that i came up with to inglorious bastards where at the end of the war, about a decade later, we sent Hans Lanza, not Hans Lanza, Hans Lanza had to team up with El Dorraine, and they went down to Argentina, and they hunted down a bunch of Nazis who had escaped down there. That was the very first, that was the 59th Tarantino anniversary back in March of 2022, and this was still a fledgling young podcast. Steve Smith joined me, and we had some pretty cool ones, so that would be one that's not real, but I would love to see, I would love to see uh, El Dorraine. Um... Oh, Even man. a prequel, that's what I meant. Because, I mean, Hateful Eight, yeah. you can't. I mean, you could have a prequel to Hateful Eight, but I think the Hateful Eight needs, it needs the mystery. is where it is. It, it, the movie's yep. ruined without that if you add to I it. like Django the way it is, because if you go past Django, I think Django gets dark after he gets freed. Django's got a long journey to wherever Django ends up going. You know, I mean, it's a great moment at the end, but ooh, yeah, wait, I mean, got, it's the South. a lot of states it's, to go through. It's not, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, and it's Blue not life. even Civil War time yet either. <laughs> you know, like, it's still not Civil War. It's still full-on slavery. Yeah. We haven't even gotten Civil War yet. Um, so that's a tough one. Inglorious Bastards, obviously, like if I talk about my story, that'd be fun. Um, Death Proof wouldn't work with it. Kill nope, Bill would. Nope. Death Proof is good the way it is. Death Proof ended. We we and it is a two part movie. Really, we got a part one and a part two in one yeah. movie. We got his first kills and we got a second. You know, yep. so that's perfectly good. Kill Bill is great the way it is. Oh, well, Kill Bill could use a third. I mean, there's the possibility. Could, that he left but I enough do like. Questions. I like yeah. the. But I like that there's questions because now we can just answer them ourselves. That we don't. And another book is a possibility I've heard. Once Upon a Time is good because we got we got the book. You know what I mean? We've got the book. I don't. We've got whatever happens. We know. Yeah. And so I think that that covers that's, them. That's so. just it. There's nothing like. And Jackie Brown wouldn't be one because obviously uh, Jackie only did the one crime to get out yep. of what she had to do. There's not. She's not going to suddenly become a crime. She's not becoming a jewel thief. Part of the Ocean's Twelve. You nope, know, and you know, the only, in fucking Spain. The reason I ask this because the only other thing I could ever think about that where you could put two people together from his other movies would be to bring in Mr. White and uh, mm -hmm. Arquette from True Romance and put them together, which, you know, that that's the only other thing is, as I was thinking about this as we were looking at it, because there's mm -hmm. no other movies that I can see him linking. You can't link Kill Bill to fucking Inglourious Bastards and all that, but these first three films you could, and then you include True Romance mm -hmm. with that, and you, you know. You could, but again, True Romance has to end the way that he wrote it, otherwise the Mr. White thing never happened yeah, anyways. which... By Tony Scott taking that ending, that, in theory, that breaks the loop. Yep. Even though we all know it's a paradox that in his world she's dead. Yeah, it is because there's an alternate reality. We know that there's a different ending yep. that stays alive in the Tarantino verse, but in the actual movie verse, it yep. doesn't. And that's, it, the, it I was really thinking about that one. Like I said, I'm not willing to part with any of these movies, but I also don't feel that any of these movies really needed sequels. Kill Bill is the only one that he left open with so many questions at the end of it that 
and so many statements during the movie that he could expand on it. These other two, like, it's just, it's perfect. Well, we'll get into that oh, when God. we get to that the fucking, fucking blue balls. That's that, going like, to be a big my, one too. I got fucking icicles on my balls from that. Like, it just, I'm so sick. <laughs> so we already know I'm where so he's sick of the kill. He might still be midnight The blue. fucking Kill Bill teases, <laughs> like, it just, we're, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and like... I, it's, been teased, it. it's probably the one that's been teased the and, most and the longest. And we've got a couple fucking like episodes. Well, we're not going to hit that for a couple months. And like, I'm already like, yeah. I got, I have my wife knitting me little <laughs> things for my nuts for that whole month. <laughs> 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 little little pockets to put oh. it in. Afghan. <laughs> oh, so there you have it. The level of disappointment for us is very high. Damn near dangerous levels for some of us. Now, please reach out to us on our socials and let us know what level of blue balls Tarantino has left you with. Since the announcement of this project, Double B Vega or the Vega Brothers, whichever you prefer, nearly 30 years ago. Double V Vega. The premise, per se. I don't think I, I, I took it far enough for a story, but I had a premise. It's the only thing I did know. It would have taken place in Amsterdam. So it would have been during the time that Vincent was in Amsterdam. He was running some club for Marcellus in Amsterdam. Right. And so he was probably there for like a couple of years. And so at some point uh, uh, in his uh, 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 two-year stay in Amsterdam running some club, Vic shows up to visit him. Okay. And it would have been their weekend. Exactly Amazing. what happens to them or what kind of trouble they get into, I never took it that far. Yeah. Right. But it definitely would have took place in Amsterdam and it would have been Vic visiting him. Vega Brothers is just not happening. No, I mean, if I have, it, it will be a graphic novel. If it was going to be anything. Yeah, I would read it. I would read <laughs> that. I'd buy it. I would read that. <laughs> And that's a wrap on our very first ever Inglorious Blue Balls. I would once again like to thank my co-host, Monsignor Wheeler, for joining me on this daunting journey through the vast jungle of unrealized project announcements from our Lord and Savior, Quentin Tarantino. Now, you can find all the links to Monsignor Wheeler's endeavors in the show notes. And as always, you can become a member of the Church of Tarantino by following us on all our socials. Those links can be found in the show notes as well. Now, if you'd be so kind and take a moment to like, review, subscribe, and follow us, the Church would greatly appreciate it, as it will help other fellow Tarantino fans like yourselves find the show. So be sure to join me again next week as Austin Kennedy, co-host of the Film Geek Time Machine podcast, joins me on our Pulp Reflection series as we take an in-depth look at some of the films that influenced Pulp Fiction. So until then, I'm the Reverend Scott K. May Tarantino be with you always. This has been a man with an exceptional beard production.